With our two Utes lined up in the pits of the iconic Bathurst racetrack, we got to chat with Andrew Fishdale Fisher, a former businessman who now drives a race car with the word Jesus printed all over it. Though not shying away from making his Christian faith public, Andrew now has many opportunities to speak in schools and prisons about his story and his faith, which has changed many lives. I chatted with Andrew about how he got started in racing, the ministry that's grown out of it, and the difficult season in his life that helped grow him and showed him that God was in control, not us. Andrew also took me through the details and strategies of a race as we drove the ute, at a safe speed of course, around the Bathurst track. I'm Carl Fays and this is my interview with Andrew Fisher. So Andrew, tell me, how'd you get into car racing? Yeah, well, um, I guess I grew up, you know, I guess as a young guy, always loving cars and loving speed. Um, I had a dad that wasn't a great influence when it came to, uh, to driving. Um, he drove way too fast um, all over the place and, uh, you know, a wonderful man and, uh, and a great father, but uh, not a great influence, I guess, in terms of how I grew up driving on the roads of Canberra, which is where I grew up. But it wasn't until I was about 33 when I had the opportunity to, um, to get into racing. A couple of friends, uh, you know, I guess um, were, were doing a race. They invited me along and um, the name of our team was actually sumo racing because the average weight was uh, 105 kilograms I was actually 116 kilograms uh, oh. at that point in time so uh, not overly fit um, but um, yeah we loved cars and so we just went along and we qualified horribly back in like second last had no idea what we were doing in terms of car setup a friend of mine or some guy that I uh, sort of came up said uh, you know what are you doing with your tire pressures he someone had lied to us actually about what tyre pressures we should run. We pumped the tyres up, I went out, um, I got to start the race and by about lap 85 I was actually leading the race and um, yeah, a few people saw that, noticed that and came up I guess and, and just asked me, you know, uh, where have you been racing? And um, I said, oh it's our first race and um, yeah look the conversation went along and I just got the opportunity to um, to sort of um, yeah, get a hold of a car and, and start racing. Now you were still in business then weren't you? Yeah, yeah, business was my thing. Uh, my passion, I guess, in life, I started running companies at, at 21. Um, so by the time I was 33, I'd sort of, uh, I guess, lived the corporate life already. I'd, I'd got up to second in charge of sort of the company area that I was involved with, with General Electric Company, and uh, and then went out restructuring companies. Mm. So, um, yeah, I guess, um, yeah, I'd done a couple of restructures by this stage and then started my own business, which was a management consulting firm. I think in the background with racing, Andrew, was always the kind of danger. Is that a, where's that for you? Yeah, you don't really recognise that. Um, you know, particularly um, you know, as a young guy, obviously nothing seems dangerous. Um, you, know, you just uh, live for that in a lot of ways. But um, as you experience um, cars and racing, um, you know, racing is actually, you know, today, um, you know, is quite a safe sport. Mm. Um, yeah, you know, when we were, you know, back in the day, obviously, you know, even around tracks like Bathurst when there was no armcos and the guys were sort of, you know, hanging off the fences, there was trees they could hit, um, you know, so the danger in the past was 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 crazy. But today, um, you know, I guess it's a pretty safe sport. We all, you know, we've got five-point racing harnesses, we've got helmets on, we've got a harness device that stops our head going forward too fast and, um, you know, full roll cages, uh, et cetera, in the cars. So, um, you know, danger doesn't really, you know, come into it. Um, I think it's more dangerous to be riding my push bike on the uh, on the roads but that's another story <laughs> yeah you went and got into the ute series and you decided to put jesus all about life on the side of your ute that's fairly bold why do that yeah well i guess you know 
as I was growing up, I was, I've always been a person that challenges the paradigms of people. You know, I was uh, at a church recently uh, that I grew up in and I explained to the members of the church that were still there from when I was a kid that, you know, that even back then I was challenging their paradigms of what they thought was reasonable behaviour um, <laughs> of a young person uh, in church. Um, yeah, and so, and in business that was, once again, you know, my job was in corporate restructuring was challenging people's paradigms in terms of, you know, their thinking about how to run a business, how, what the best strategy is for that business. And um, so, you know, when it came to, you know, sort of, I guess, you know, racing cars, um, you know, the whole notion of, well, how does someone actually know that I'm a, I'm a Christian um, in this world of motorsport, um, you know, come out? And so I thought, well, you know, let's, let's challenge their paradigms and decided to, uh, to put, uh, you know, the Jesus All About Life um, campaign on the race car. Like your Jesus racing ute behind you, when you put Jesus on the car, it was huge. What was the reaction in the pit? Yeah, look, um, the reaction was pretty crazy, really, in, in a lot of ways. No one had really seen this happen before in Australian motorsport. And so, um, yeah, there, it was kind of like this, like, really? Is, is that, does that say Jesus? Um, you know, I even had people sort of, you know, walking either side of the next two cars down to sort of avoid walking past the name of Jesus. Um, you know, I turned up and, you know, the crew that I was with, you know, they'd been, you know, just normal knock around blokes that were running my race car at that point in time. Uh, you had been swearing and carrying on the day before on the setup day, but we didn't reveal the Jesus. I actually had a guy turn up overnight on the Thursday night and put the Jesus, logos on the car and they've turned up the next morning and the guys have come up and apologising to me for swearing and, and carrying on. So look, the, the reaction's been yeah, quite quite extraordinary. Um, yeah, as we've developed, yeah, people have come to know us. Um, yeah, it's really, it's, it's interesting how that's changed and how well it's been accepted amongst the racing community and, um, and the engagement with people that you would never have thought you know, would, would sort of engage with the, with the Jesus brand. You know. The, the, it's interesting, isn't it? Because there's a couple of issues now with Jesus on your car. One is you don't want to come last. <laughs> but second is the whole being a, it's, it's a competitive environment. So integrity becomes a big issue, doesn't it? Yeah, of course it does. And, you know, I mean, you know, as a racing car driver, you know, you, you get that, the question, the Christians say, oh, is it fair to beat other people? Shouldn't you let other people win? Because, you know, like let other people go first type thing. And, and then, you know, um, so, so you kind of get that question, you know, which is kind of strange because you're a professional sports person um, and the idea is to win. Um, but, you know, the, there's no point winning without winning with integrity. And so that's the important thing for, for me. And, you know, in, in our racing in particular over the years, you know, we've, we've not won a lot of races, um, you know, due purely to the fact that, you know, either I won't make that move because it's, um, you know, it, it may actually, um, you know, cause somebody else grief um, or, or we won't go over the greyness, um, into the greyness of the rules. So for me, the rules are black and white. And um, yeah, there's been many times where I've raced in the car where other people have had a, a competitive advantage um, because they've viewed the rules in a different way than we view the rules. Um, and, um, but that's just part of, you know, I guess, having the name of Jesus on the car and, and wanting to represent the integrity that, that, that comes with yeah. that. Once you did that, that actually opened up some interesting opportunities in schools and prisons. How did, how did those opportunities open up? Yeah, look, I think, um, Communication has always been a part of what I've done in, as a, a marketing person in corporate um, gatherings and so forth. So um, I, I started getting calls from from you know schools and and you know the likes to saying, could you come and, and chat to our students about what you're doing? And of course that started off mainly from a Christian school kind of point of view. And um, as I thought about 
you know, that and I went and did that, it started me thinking about the, what do I really want the message to be? What is the message mm. of Jesus Racing? And, and, and I, I think the message of Jesus Racing is about more about the conversation than about the actual conversion or the event. Mm. Um, so I see myself uh, you know, not so much as a, an evangelist, I see myself as a person that, that creates conversations, an apologist if you, if you like, someone who goes in and says, you know what, let's actually um, you know, have a conversation about you know, um, what you think about particular areas in life. And that's around faith, but it's also around you know, drugs, social media, and a range of other areas that particularly young people are struggling with. When you put Jesus on the card, that was not what you had in mind. Did it surprise you that those opportunities came up? I always say that you know, Jesus tricked me into this. But, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, no, I never expected to be doing what I'm doing. I just thought it was a case of you know, challenging people's paradigms around having the name of Jesus racing around the, the circuits of Australia, and, and that would be what it was. Um, and then, of course, you know, um, uh, you know God has a different plan for your life than what you you have, and so uh, yeah. As these, um, I guess, engagements started rolling in, it started getting you know more and more and more, and sort of you know getting to 50 and 60 a year, trying to run a company. I was executive chairman of a group of companies that um, I was a shareholder in. Um, I had to make a decision at some point to say, you know what, I've got to step away from uh, the corporate world and um, enter into this full time. What was that like? Difficult. Difficult, difficult on a number of levels because I don't get paid to do this. Um, so um, you know, I've, I've never taken um, any money out of Jesus Racing or Life Choices Foundation. So for my family, um, it was a, a critical decision because I had to go to my wife and say, um, you know, um, you remember all this money that I've been earning in the corporate world and uh, uh, you know what we've got um, from that. Um, you know, life's going to change a little bit, and uh, you know, we sort of had to introduce a budget into our family um, in terms of uh, our living and and so forth. And so yeah, it was it was um, yeah, it was a really you know probably. Yeah, once again, not not a, not a decision. I didn't never thought I'd be doing this. You know, 15, 15, 16 years later, um, you know, I didn't think that I'd be doing this. Yeah, I thought maybe it was a couple of years volunteering would be um, all right. But uh, when you've been doing it for 15 years, it has a significant impact. There's a sort of identity change, isn't there? Yeah. So from, from, from a businessman who races cars and talks now and then to yeah. someone who's seen as almost in ministry. Yeah, I guess so. And, and yeah, there's a number of aspects to that because you're known for what you're known for. It's a thing that I, I say to people all the time. And so, um, you know, people that meet me now, just they think I'm a racing car driver or they think I'm a communicator with, you know, the Life Choices Foundation. Um, you know, they don't know, you know, that, that I, my business career and, and you know, what my, my real true love is, is business, you know. And so, you know, I meet people, particularly people that, you know, obviously sometimes financially support us that run successful businesses and, and you know, um, you know I'll, I'll be hearing them in the middle of a conversation and I'll almost be like, I want to join that conversation, but I'm, I'm, I'm not really invited to it because what would I know about business? Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, your identity does follow along with that. Um, but that's okay. Um, yeah, yeah that's, that's just something part of life. And, and, you know, I think it's important to always represent yourself in terms of, you know, for me, I've always been, you know, a Christian business person or a Christian racing car driver or a Christian communicator or whatever it is. So I guess at least that flows along with it. Um, so my identity is more based around, you know, my faith in terms of what I believe around that than it is around the actual role that I'm playing. This podcast is brought to you by the Ministry of Olive Tree Media. Our vision is to create a library of resources that tell the story of the game-changing message of Jesus. This interview was recorded for our latest documentary, Faith Runs Deep. Our other award-winning series, Jesus the Game Changer and Towards Belief, 
plus many other small group, church and school series are available on our Watch Plus platform for a small monthly partnership. As you partner with us, you not only get access to compelling video content and interactive discussion guides, but you also support the creation of more resources that help share the gospel message. To become a partner and get access to Faith Runs Deep, visit olivetreemedia.com.au. So I've watched numbers of starts of, of like Bathurst yep. race here, and this first corner with everybody just tearing towards, what's yeah. it like as a driver? Yeah, look, it's, it's interesting. You know, I always say that you know, the, the, the issue that we have with racing is that um, people forget to breathe. Um, you know, and so you've been on your wallet lap, everyone's sitting there for 30 seconds waiting for the, the lights to go out and no one's breathed. So by the time you get down to corner one, not a lot of oxygen is going through the brains <laughs> of racing car drivers. So yeah, well, people are doing all sorts of crazy stuff. You know, so you've got three wide, you've got someone trying to shove it up the inside here and that sort of stuff. But the, the problem is, is that this corner then leads to a massive long yeah. straight yep. pulling uphill. Yep. So the thing we all need is momentum. Yes. Um, so when you're getting stopped and pitched and that sort of stuff through the first corner um, it leaves a lot of opportunities up to then try to get a run up the uh, up the mountain here yep. and um, you know we've uh, I mean I've driven up here so many times I've had cars spearing across in front of us and uh, all sorts of things you know you, it's, a, it's a lottery uh, yeah. you know, like sometimes uh, you're the uh, sometimes you're the windscreen sometimes you're the bug you know like it's, <laughs> it's one of those things that what? you um, you know that you don't have a lot of choice in when you say you're coming up, up out of that corner and cars are spearing off are they cars that sort of go off hit the wall bounce back yeah, across yeah. Yeah, I had a car, just this exact moment here on the track, I had a car come straight across in front of me and uh, uh, just just missed me, uh, that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, look, it's um, yeah, racing's um, yeah, a bit of a, com a combat sport at times. You don't want it to be, but, you know, um, when you're racing cars at the level that we do, at the speeds we do, um, you know, people make mistakes, things go wrong, things break, and, um, yeah. yeah, you just got to deal with that. So, Andrew... Here we are on that, what, what is this called? Is this the first This lane? is Mountain Straight. Okay. Yeah, it's a Mountain Straight. So you come up here and, you know, uh, it actually, you know, uh, come over the top of this little sort of crest here the car gets really light and I remember the first time in the XY I came up here they didn't sort of tell me how the car reacted and I was coming up here I was probably doing about 250 k's an hour and all of a sudden just as we got to the crest of this mountain yeah. here it just snapped sideways on me so I'm facing Seriously? the concrete wall first time <laughs> borrowed car um, thinking oh no this isn't going to end well so uh, pretty got to be careful in that corner in, okay. the, uh, in the XY yeah. uh, this is turn two so this yep. is a really important corner to carry the speed into I was in the UT one day we slowed down just a little bit I got to this point here and just about to turn in well three wide and I got a tap on the left hand rear and actually ended up into the concrete fence just here really just um, oh, yeah, big damage um, yeah it wasn't a great uh, sort of end of the day but um, got to carry a lot of corner speed through uh, yeah through here because obviously now what people don't realize um, even sitting in the car here now um, just how steep it is yeah. Um, the yeah. gradient up here uh, is just extraordinary so blind so corner even, you can see come up here so you've actually got to pick your marker so over on the right hand side with the black uh, fences there that's yep. our marker to turn in it's a blind corner yep. you just know that's your turning point right so you, you, you're not sure what you're doing but you know your turn and yep. when you, where you're turning into the so you come corner. through to here and then so you're out obviously on the other side of the road because um, it's a normal yep. street we can't be out there but just to get a wide line and then you hook it in here as tight uh, as you can there's different lines people drive through here with but I, I hold a tight line let yep. it run out yep. and then over here on the other side of the road there's actually a big bump in the road which we um, okay. which we hit when we're coming through here once again 
again, blind corner up here. Yep. So yep. the turning point is pretty much this tree. You come up towards this tree here. Um, that's our tree that we sort of turn in now. So it's just a blind turn in. Yep. Um, you let the car come through here and then, you know, sort of, if you get it right, just past the sign up here, no right-hand turn sign there. There's yep. a little grate um, on the side of the road here, which we aim for. Um, okay, and yeah, that's got pretty it. much yeah. where we hit that. Yep. And then your next point is basically picking up uh, the gum trees. You come sort of into the third track wide here, this next gum tree down around the corner. So here. a lot of it, a lot of your lines are actually things like the gum Correct, trees. They, I always say to people, they come down and, and cut down the tree by a, a, a practical joke, <laughs> we're all in trouble. So, uh, what speed are you doing through here? Uh, so, so up over 200 kilometers an hour. Yeah, so wow. in a supercar, you're 215 k's an hour. Yep. In the GT, probably doing about 185, 190 uh, k's an hour up through here. Yep. Once again, blind corner, so you're out yep. wide here and you're just yep. turning in. It gets very light um, over here, so you can get a bit of understeer as you turn in, yep. um, which can uh, then you know, push you out wide. Um, into uh, one of the uh, things. So then this is going down to the S's and uh, um, I had a big accident here in a, in a supercar where I've come down here and yep. a guy decided to rejoin the circuit at that exact moment. Wow. I've done some great overtaking moves here around the outside of someone coming over the top of the mountain. It's, so it's, it's completely blind completely as you dive blind. And yeah. the idea is you, is you obviously want to go down here as fast as you possibly can. Um, so you want to use the brakes as little as you possibly can <laughs> but you've still got to then get through yeah. these tight corners here. Yeah. So um, um, you know, it really tightens up um, on the way in and we call this the dipper we're about to go down now yep. um, and uh, you actually the actual front wheel goes off the ground as you come down here it just um, uh, you lose the front wheel because it's such a tight corner and it's, and it's, it's so steep it's, it's really it's surprising steep yeah. yeah and so you're just you know letting the car you know run down you know through to here and obviously the next big thing you're concentrating on is getting onto Conrad straight so yep. that's yep. really important um, but you can lose half a second just by going too slowly through there so you've yes. got still have that balance yeah get yep. the car position these brown little sections on the side yep. of the road there are, are turning points for us and then we actually aim for that end of that concrete wall you actually aim for that you never really hit it um, but that's where you aim for you're back yep. on the throttle already and then you come out of that at what speed oh look you're only doing probably about 75 80 k's an hour out of that yep. corner yep um, and then you you know you're full on full throttle uh, down Conrad straight and um, yeah we get a bit of a rest here like it's it's actually a very yeah. long straight <laughs> yeah, mind you on the on the GT once again it does move around a fair bit and yep. um, you know, coming up over the top of the uh, crest uh, you know it will actually wheel spin so I'll be in fourth gear wow. um, yeah. you know, and, yep. and basically doing probably 250 kilometers an hour by that stage and it's actually wheel, losing traction at the rear. Because you don't um, really think about that, that the car would actually lift off the ground. Yeah, yeah. so it's, uh, it's pretty pretty amazing with the amount yep. of speed that we're carrying um, yep. uh, through here. Uh, and then, you know, obviously it's then going down, you're setting yourself up now for the for the chase, which is, um, you know, Australia's fastest um, corner do, in Australia do motorsport. For, do you break Well, that's corner? the idea. Well, it depends on the car. So in a supercar, it's flat through there in a supercar. Wow. In a Porsche, I've raced here, it's flat. Even in the utes, we used to be able to get into there um, absolutely flat, which was pretty cool in the ute because they stepped out sideways as you turn in. So you go out as wide as you can here, take as much as the, uh, the entry sort of curb, if you like, and then um, just really push through the Ever been through this with somebody else? 
Side by side, absolutely, yeah. Got oh. some uh, great footage where I actually went diagonally in between two guys at 285 kilometres an hour uh, oh, wow. in, in the GT uh, yeah. when uh, we were first time we're sort of out here. So yeah. uh, that's some pretty cool footage um, sort of we show at the schools. It's on yeah. the rev limiter, bouncing off the rev limiter um, at 285 kilometres an hour. So, and then uh, clearly heavy braking through here. Well, once again, you don't want to brake too much because yep. you've got to carry the momentum. Yep. Um, so yep. it's not heavy braking. You've done your braking. You get down to your sort of the minimal speed where yep. you can sort of still have the, the car, the front of the car with you uh, and then you're back on the throttle again you know, sort of uh, yeah. coming down here and um, you know, setting yourself up for the last corner and um, yeah, the last corners are more of a traditional, you know, down this section of the, the racetrack's more of a traditional racing circuit where you've got yep. 90 degree corners so yep. um, you're obviously trying to get as much out of the braking as you can carry some corner speed, get back on the throttle um, and the, the interesting thing here at this track is that the, the finish line um, is before the start line. So, oh, is that so right? as you come okay. across here under the bridge here, that's actually yep. the finish line. So under the bridge um, is the yeah, finish line. Straight under the under the finish uh, under the bridge is the finish line. So you got the checkered flag out. You get a good run on someone you can still get So there it is there. Yep. Uh, get the race win. So um yeah. You do a lot of visits to prisons. Driving either a ute or a replica race car into a prison with Jesus all over it. How does that go? Yeah, look, the, uh, the prisons is amazing. I, I love the prisons. It's my, my I guess, my favourite thing that I do um, in, in you know, all the activities because, um, you know, it's just so real. Um, yeah, for the guys that are there, it's real. Um, and so, um, yeah, it's surprisingly, um, uh, it's surprising the reaction you get. They, they love it. I mean, yeah, they, they absolutely, you know, absolutely love it. Demographically, they're probably guys that, that like racing and, and cars and that sort of stuff, a lot of them as well. So um, they've seen me race on television. They kind of know, you know, who I am and that sort of stuff. They've seen the race car, the race team, that sort of stuff. So, so that helps um, as well. Um, but yeah, it's just, I mean, cars, racing cars just have a, a, a great, attraction to people yeah. um, so it's a once again it's a great conversation starter um, to drive a big loud v8 into the middle of a jail where no one else has ever been before I mean you know some of the approvals we've had to get to actually get the car into you know maximum security jail um, is is quite extraordinary and you know, we've even had the full race car you know with leads plugged in so we can warm up the oil and I mean it's quite a process to actually starting um, Abigail our XYGT and um, so uh, yeah the prison had to supply all this power and, and and have all this sort of stuff set up so that we could actually uh, um, you know, bring the race car in and start it up. It's one thing to talk about racing and race, the race car. What's the message that you bring to a bunch of prisoners? Yeah, so in prison, I talk about the notion of legacy. Like, is this, you know, is this, this moment, this is a moment in your life, you know, the past is the past. We can't change our history. So the only thing we can really focus on is, is you know, what is going to be our legacy? Um, you know, everybody's got the opportunity to actually define what our legacy is going to be. And, and our history, even though it influences who we've become, doesn't have to control who we're going to be. Um, and so it's really challenging to stop and think about that and say, well, you know, um, you know it may be your circumstances that have contributed towards you being here. It may be the people you're hanging with that's contributed towards the, the, uh, the, the you being here. It's probably something to do with you in there as well, um, even though you might not think that, but let's just get it out there. Um, and so, you know, it's up to you to make your life count for something um, is, I guess, the message um, that I, I put forward to them. And so um, change is really difficult. And, you know, the reality is, is that, you know, 
in most cases, you know, we need a competitive advantage in that. And so I, I just tell them in truth that, you know, I think I've got a competitive advantage in my life. Um, you know, I talk to them about, you know, what I've been through um, in my life and that, you know, when they first met me, the paradigms they held of me were nothing like who mm. I am as a person. And mm. I communicate with them about my life, about my daughter's story and a range of other things that, that come out through the process. And so I say to them, you know, that my competitive advantage in life is the fact that, you know, is a, I do have a faith. And, and yeah, my faith, what it does is it basically gives me a hope that life's not just about me. It's not just about this exact moment in time that I can be something different. I can improve and grow as an individual. Um, I can have, you know, the, the, the hope for a salvation and eternity and a God, a relationship with a God that loves me. I've got an anchor that I can hold on to when life goes to crap. And let's face yeah. it, that's where their life is at this point in time. They're in jail, right? Yeah. Um, but it also gives me a, a compass to, to mm -hmm. help navigate through the complexities of life. And so I talk them through the importance of having that compass that can actually help you when, you, when, you meet, when you're held in critical moments. So when they get out of jail, um, I say to them, yeah, today I want you to take a book. I want you to write down the one thing that will stop you coming back here. But the, the one thing, you know, and, and normally for most guys, that would be their children um, or their partner. And, um, you know, I challenge them to write it down. So when they get out and they're faced with that moment where someone's trying to take them in a, a place or, or a direction that they don't want to go, pull it out and, and have a look at it. Remind yourself of this exact moment that you made the commitment to yourself. You're not making a commitment to me, you're making a commitment to yourself. And so I think it's the sense of realness in that yep. um, and, and vulnerability that I show when I turn up yep. um, and talk to them and share with them from my own life um, that, um, that really opens them up to maybe being a little vulnerable at that point in time themselves. Do you hear later? Yeah. You do you do. get some yeah, feedback? Like, wonderful experience where um, you know I've had guys come up to me at the race meet you know four or five years later and bring their young son up and say I just want you to meet my son you know and they say to their son this is the guy that made me write your name down um, you know and, and he's the reason why I have never gone back to jail because of what he made me do so yeah lots of stories stories of people you know walking into news agents and seeing my poster up behind the counter and asking someone why have you got Andrew's poster up and I've been to the jail they'd written up the name of the person on their poster every day they come to work they remind themselves of that person. And so, yeah, look, you see lots of examples, but yeah, the, the really interesting thing is it's actually the, the staff it's the culture of the jail that changes the most. So, you know, I've seen the culture of jails over six, seven years change so much by our actual presence going into mm. the jail because of the, 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 the um, compassion and the grace and, the, and I guess the hope that I have for the prisoners, that, that kind of starts to, you know, filter out to the staff of the, of the organisation as well. And, um, you know, it's a wonderful privilege that I get to share some of my life with them as well. So you've spent a lot of your life trying to be successful in business and you have been successful in business. Those, that feedback from those prisoners is a very kind of intangible but important piece of feedback in life. Yeah, look, it is. And, and from, the, from the staff and the in, like of, the, of, the, of the centres and also the teachers and so forth, it's, it's the feedback. Like we, I'm a great person wanting feedback. So we get feedback every time we go to a school or jail. We get the prisoners to give feedback. We, give the, we get the, the staff to give feedback, the students, the teachers. Um, so that then talks back into you know, what you are doing and I guess the effect that you're having um, on the person, the individual. Um, but also on the institution or the organisation. And um, so, yeah, look, 
it's it's an interesting transition. Yeah, you know, like uh, I was 23 when I when I I guess named it and said I wanted to be a CEO of a public company. At 36, I was able to achieve that goal in life, which you know is kind of I guess the pinnacle. Um, yeah, you, know, you reach that pinnacle of what your your hopes and dreams were, and and I guess you know at that moment I realised that that wasn't what life was all about for me. Um, yeah. That there was a thing called purpose. Um, you know, which was I guess a stronger um, you know stronger pull for me than success. So. Um, as I look at it, I guess I've transitioned from you know, success in a worldly sense of being successful, being wealthy, being you know, a leader in, in business to having a purpose that is way beyond me. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's about them, you know, like it's a privilege to be a part of it. But at the end of the day, um, you know, it's not, not for me that they're making decisions. And it's not for me to even get a benefit or a joy out of, out of what they get. It's about their life and them transforming their life. Andrew, you talk to prisoners about tough times in life. What was one of the pivotal moments for you? Yeah, look, I guess the, the pivotal moment in my life was, I guess, right around the birth of our second child, Lily. Um, you know, it's a, a story that I tell, you know, and um, has an immense impact in the life of, of um, you know, the students, because I tell it at schools, but also the, particularly the men in mm -hmm. jails, because, you know, um, you go and with all the great hopes of having a child, we already had a ch our first child, so we kind of knew how it worked. And you know, we arrived at the hospital, what we thought was a perfectly healthy, normal baby. We'd been through the scans, we'd done everything we were supposed to do. And um, sort of, you know, three hours after, you know, my wife had given birth, all of a sudden, um, we're told the news that she um, basically has half a heart. She has oh, a condition wow. called hyperplastic left heart. And um, so, um, you know, we're given the news and with the, I guess the, the overview advice on that stage was that you know we should probably just let her die um, that you know that that would be the the most humane thing mm. to do um, you know at this particular point in time in our lives would be just to, to you know there was operations that were available which would have to move from Sydney to Melbourne she'd have to go through 23 operations three open heart surgeries um, with you know still no guarantees of success and um, yeah, the, the, the cardiologist is you know basically saying, look, the best thing you could do is just let it go, have another one. Um, hopefully, the next one would be healthy. Uh, when you get that kind of news, um, you know, it's a fairly um, shocking experience um, and and that sort of stuff to go through. And um, yeah, I mean, his point was clear. I mean, like the the short term pain, he, he understood the short term pain, um, and he was just trying to give us the opportunity to, I guess, make. Uh, a choice, um, but yeah, you know, the, at the end of the day, it's 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 you know my life, my wife's life, um, yeah, and as I say to the students, yeah, you know, it's up to us to to make it count and have the courage to make the choices that are right for us. And so um, we uh, chose to go against the doctor's advice and move to Melbourne, uh, live in a little hospital room for for the first six months of uh, or five months of our child's life. And um, yeah, she went through all the operations, and yeah, there was there was moments, you know, when you've turned up and um, basically, yo, know, I still remember the, the night before my birthday. They, they basically had called me and told me to get to hospital um, because she wouldn't make it through the night. Um, yeah, and I'm, I guess I'm, I'm driving in there thinking like, you know, how does God, how do you let this happen? It's, how can I ever celebrate my birthday ever again? Yeah. Um, yeah, and so you're driving in, you know, and you're, you're thinking these thoughts and you get in there and you know, sort of, um, yeah, you spend the time with her and you know, um, somehow we dragged ourselves away and, and went, to, went to bed, got some sleep and wake up the next morning and, and yeah, it was, it was quite a surreal moment, you know, you're walking down the hallway not really knowing, you know, what what you're going to experience, what you're going to see and that sort of stuff. And, uh, and, and, I, and I still kind of, 
you know, remember the words that the nurse said, there's been a miracle, um, you know, and so she just completely, I guess, you know, um, changed overnight, you know, and, uh, and uh, you know, um, it was a pretty amazing experience, mm. you know, to, to sort of go through that and sort of, it, it brings you back to the core of who you are and what's important to you as a person, you know, and, and you know, the thing about it is that, you know, we understand, you know, the thing that the experience has taught us is that, you know, every moment is precious, and, you know, and our daughter, you know, she, she's an amazing person, she's 20 years of age now, she's, um, yeah, she, there's no happy ending to the story, we didn't find the other half, put it back together and live happy, happily ever after, you know, she still struggles and deals with living with half a heart um, and there's a lot of issues that are involved with that but um, yeah we're blessed to have her as part of the family and uh, yeah one of the one of the worst things that happened was they did tell us that she would have vocal cord paralysis and so we've um, we've we've tried to sue the hospital a couple of times because she doesn't have it and she talks way too much but that's just a byproduct of, of what you have when you uh, when you go through the process but yeah being in hospital I mean it, it teaches you that other people's circumstances are, are much worse than yours like you, you we're got this narrow perspective uh, yeah and it's what I talk about in the jails mm. about paradigms you know we we all have these paradigms about what somebody else is like and somebody else's life is like um, and it's not until we walk in somebody else's shoes that we can really truly understand um, their position and their yeah. circumstances. Andrew's a big paradigm shift for you because you were a business guy you were used to being in charge you can't fix Lily can you? Yeah that's that's a great observation you know where you know um, I was a control freak, um, you know, a person that people came to, A-type personality, and suddenly you're, 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 you're faced with this situation that you have no control over. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, that's just not important in that moment, you know, because that plays out in life, because we went through the first stage, we took her back home when she was sort of, you know, six months old, um, but at five years of age, we had to go back and do it all again. So if I had gone home after that experience and then sort of thought that, oh, hey, I'm back in control, um, you know, then I would have, five years of age, then realised I'm not in control and then, you know, you go through this process and I, I describe that as the definition of insanity. If you go through the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. And so for me, I just had to realise that, that you know, I wasn't in control and if I'm not in control, then who is? And so I guess that was really the deepening and strengthening of the faith that I've got in yeah. depending on, on a God that I believe created um, all things and, and therefore um, I go to him um, you know, for control and say, well, you know, you're in control. Um, I need to ask you to help us in that situation. This series is called Faith Runs Deep. How do you see faith as running deep in Australia? Yeah, look, that's a, a great question. Um, you know, and so many aspects to it, but I think it's that notion of we can run, but we can't hide. Um, you know, I think that's where Australia is at the moment. Yeah, you know, we're doing our very best to push faith away and to push God away and, to, and to, to hide from him. But you see it come out in so many ways when something goes wrong, uh, when, when there's an incident, when somebody else's family is affected by something. Um, you see just those core values um, that our Christian faith, um, you know, this country has been built on, um, that, that come out you know, and that people's you know, compassion and, and love for their neighbour. Um, you know, and and when, you, when you really talk to them about it um, you know, and you get to have the conversation, which is why I think it's, you know, that's part of what I'm trying to do with the whole Life Choices Foundation, Jesus Racing, is to have the conversation. When you have the conversation, um, you know, truly most Australians still, you know, at the very least want there to be a God, you know, and want that God to love them and want that God to care for them. Uh, and, and when they need it, they'll engage with him um, through prayer at the very least. And, you know, it's not often that I say to someone, look, 
can I pray for you, even though you're not a person of faith or belief, um, that they'd turn around and say, oh no, I don't want you to pray for me. They say, yeah, if you wouldn't mind, that would be great. And so I think that just shows that there's an underlying, you know, essence of faith that just runs deep through this country. Thank you for joining me on this podcast as I unearth stories of faith in Australia. To watch the full Faith Runs Deep series and all Olive Tree Media content, go to olivetreemedia.com.au and sign up to the Watch Plus platform and partner with us today.